I think that's a song I can sing every day. Would you agree? Well, amen to that. Um, Chris, go ahead and work and try to see if this is still working. We've had a few troubles with this mic right here, but we've been working on the last few weeks of getting it fixed, so it's still a bit of an experiment, but we're hopefully planning on buying a new headset here soon. Um, as we've mentioned a few times in, t- uh, in today's service, we are in a new series called Misquoting God. And the heart of this series and the reason why we're doing this is because there are so many beautiful words written in God's book, is, is there not? But yet sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we experience God's word being abused. God's word being abused by maybe it being misapplied or misquoted or misrepresented and for whatever reason, it's done in this way and it hurts us. It doesn't have its intended purpose and because of that, it tends to damage instead of heal and restore. So we are looking at some famous Bible verses throughout Scripture and and really dissecting them to see what God's intended purpose for these Scriptures are. So last week we specifically talked about Jeremiah 29.11, the famous verse that speaks out and says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. So if you didn't have a chance to listen to that message, I encourage you to join our podcast, whether you have an Android phone or an Apple phone. If you just type in our church name in the search settings there, then our church should come up and you can subscribe to that channel and get all of our weekly messages. I know some of you like listening to them midweek as a, as a little bit of an encouragement and a, a way to kind of get through that hump. So thank you for subscribing to those. Well, this week we are going to be in Matthew chapter 7, and we are specifically going to be reading this famous verse about judgment and not judging. Uh, you know, while I was trying to figure out and do some research for, for uh, these verses and this series, a pastor friend of mine reached out to me on Facebook and said, I think a better name for this series, Misquoting God, would probably be Let's Let's poke the bear together. <laughs> and I think that's kind of funny because in some ways we are kind of poking the bear, right? As we, as we talk about these famous verses of Scripture. So before entering into God's Word and, and reading through this and dialoguing together as we um, enter into today's message, I want to take one more time to pray together. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, we thank you for this wonderful time of being able to be your church gathered. We thank you for the barbecue that we're going to have after today's service. Uh, Father, we do pray a blessing, though, upon this moment as we prayed before everybody even came into the church today. Lord, we do pray that, that this service would be a blessing to you, that we would usher in your spirit, not just in this place, but in our lives. So we pray, Father, that we would have ears to hear what your word is speaking to us today and eyes to see how you are moving in our lives. We thank you, Lord, because we could trust you with our lives and trust your word to make a difference. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I 
mentioned last week, the importance of this, this series, I think, can be wrapped up in some ways in this quote that was given by J. Ray Klingensmith, and he gave this during a message, and he said this, people are starving for the Word of God, and they don't even know it. But when they hear it, believe it, get a taste of it, it feeds their soul like nothing else can. Amen? Amen to that. I believe that to be true. So Matthew 7, 1. Let's read that once more together today, and I'll put it up on the screen for you guys. But it says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. How about you guys read that with me out loud? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. I like that story that Preston brought up. Wouldn't it be nice to go back to a time where some of the biggest things we're worried about with being judged by is the length of our hair? (laughs) But in reality, regardless of whatever generation we grew up in, for the most part, this judgment and judgmentalism is a common struggle, right? There is a moment in all of our lives where maybe we felt like somebody judged us too quickly. And typically we're not worried about when people judge us in positive ways and say, hey, I think you're a really great guy, or you're really smart. No, the judgment that we oftentimes worry about is the kind of judgment that belittles us, that brings us down, that causes us to feel less about who we are. The fact is, is that while we've all probably received judgment in our lives at some moment or another, there's a chance that you've probably given judgment, right? If we're honest, or we've judged somebody too quickly, and maybe we've spoken that judgment over them, whether they know it or not. We've harbored judgment in our lives, and it's a problem that we could face day to day. And it's a difficult one. I took to social media this week, that wonderful vessel of wisdom and godliness, and I asked the question on my Facebook page, and I said, why are people judgmental? And for once, I think I got some wisdom here. But here's what some people wrote, including some of you in the church today, and I'll put some of these on the screen, so we'll start with Naomi and and Tyler. Naomi, by the way, is, is the person that rents the downstairs. She wrote, would answering this question be a judgment? <laughs> She's being clever there. Tyler wrote in, I think because it is easier to acknowledge the faults in others than to evaluate our own. Next is, is Mary, someone I went to seminary with. She wrote, For some, I think it is because they have accepted condemnation or normalized it. They stand condemned and agree that they are condemned. Therefore, condemnation is the right state of things in this world. It's similar to the code of thieves. Thieves they may be, but there is still a code to uphold. Interesting. I like what Chad said. 
Chad wrote, because it makes them feel right if they project their guilt on someone else. Interesting. Wendy and Gail, where are you, Gail? Gail? There you are, Gail. Gail wrote in because of jealousy. I like that simple answer. Because we are broken and insecure. I really like what Amanda wrote here. She's a former congregant of mine. Because once we are saved, we want to claim all the credit for how the Lord has cleaned us up. Instead of trusting that everyone else is on a similar path with sanctification, pride. Isn't that what started this mess with Lucifer? We all have theories and reasons why people are judgmental, right? And I think the ones that were written in hit on some of the reasons why I think people are judgmental. But ultimately, being judgmental and judgmentalism is a sin problem. Or is it? I want to look at some Bible verses right now that talk about judgmentalism, or at least talk about judgment. And, and, and before I, I jump into some of these scriptures, and, and by the way, Chris, you have your work cut out for you today because you probably saw a million things up there unproclaimed this week. I want to let you know that this this whole entire message, it it really comes out of what Jesus' most famous message of the Sermon on the Mount, where he's hitting on thing after thing after thing of moral living and, and really pronouncing the kingdom of God. So here are just some verses in Scripture that are really against judgment. Romans 14, 13, and, and church, I do want to prepare you. We are going to hit on several, but I think in order for this series to be represented well, then we should do our part in understanding God's Word, right? So Romans fourteen thirteen says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling blocks or obstacles in the way of a brother or sister. Luke 6.37 says, Do not judge and you will not be judged. This is kind of a shadow of what we're going to be reading today. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. James 4, James is known as the brother of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or what judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. I'll stop there and finish with Romans 2.1. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. What does he mean there? Obviously that when we judge other people, we're in some ways judging ourselves because we oftentimes commit the very same things we judge others for. I don't know about you, but after reading these verses, would you say that Scripture is against judgment? I think so. 
But then again, there are these verses that exist in Scripture that seem to favor judgment. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. 2 Corinthians. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Matthew 12, 36. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. I don't know about you, but that last one scares me a bit. Because it says everyone, not just the worldly, but everyone will have to give an account for empty words that we have spoken. So what's the verdict here? Is judgment wrong or is it right? If it's wrong, then why is there a judgment day? Are we truly not allowed to judge? I ask this because, at least for me, especially when I was first starting out in my faith, I would come across certain portions of Scripture like this one and think to myself, what a good word to know to not to judge other people. But yet, then again, I would see these other portions of Scripture and hearing about a judgment that is going to come, and in some ways I'd get confused. And I'd wonder if, if God's word was, was conflicting, if it was contradicting itself. And I think many of us, it, maybe not with this portion of Scripture, but ha, have maybe found ourselves in a place where we thought the same thing. I think to answer this question about do not judge, or you too will be judge, we need to think about what Jesus means by the word judgment, right? Because the reality is, is that we give words meaning, and sometimes meaning can change, and sometimes the meaning that we apply to something can be different than what we fully understand. So when Jesus, in Matthew 7, 1, and we'll put that back up on the screen for you, when he says, do not judge... What does he mean by the word judge? The word judge in Greek is the word krino, and it roughly means to condemn. That's the connotation it kind of brings out. It means to condemn. So when Jesus brings up this word judgment, He's more concerned with the kind of person that brings up fault-finding and condemnation. Have you met this kind of person before? The person that's quick at being able to find faults in things and has a knack for never finding faults in their own things, but has a tendency to find faults in the things that you do. Sometimes we are this person right? We've seen it a lot in this last year with how many ways that people find faults in other people's beliefs or other people's positions about things, especially because of the internet. It makes it even easier for people to be a critic of sorts. 
But this verse that I believe Jesus is bringing up here is, is vehemently against this idea of condemnation. You see, I'm going to make the argument today that judgment can actually be a good thing, but if we judge things with the spirit of condemnation, then what we are doing is going against God's very word of do not judge. You see, because sometimes the, the way that this verse can also be misapplied is sometimes people could say, well, hey, doesn't Jesus tell you not to judge? And they misapply this verse in another way where they try to use this verse as a way of you not being able to have an opinion. So in the same way where we do not want to misunderstand this verse and be the kind of people that are condemning, we also can't misapply this verse and also be the kind of people that never have an opinion. You see what I mean there? It's almost like you can go too far one way or too far the other way. And we need to make sure that we're applying the heart of what Scripture says when it comes to the concept of judgment. Because here's the thing. There are things in this world that we should in some ways have a judgment about or have an opinion about, right? For instance, I grew up in Florida, and in Florida, Florida's kind of like the Australia of the U.S. It seems like every animal there was meant to kill you, right? We have alligators, we have, we have lions, we have all these different things. There's even, there, there's even bacteria that'll kill you, there's snakes that'll kill you. It's just kind of growing up in the outback of Florida, right? We have hurricanes, it's all, all sorts of fun. Why anybody moves there, I don't know, <laughs> But I remember one day I was running, and as many of you know, I like to run. And by the way, I'm working on that, and physical therapy is going pretty good, so I'm getting better. Thank you for praying for me. So I was running one day, and Michaela joined me for a run, and, and uh, we were running, and I was literally about to run and step on a coral snake. And if you don't know, coral snakes are pretty poisonous, and depending on its age, especially if it's a younger one, they, that venom can really hurt you. And there's a little saying, right? Red and yellow can kill a fellow. And then, so you think about these things, and there's other snakes that we have in Florida that also have the same coloration of coral snakes. Now, if I just say, hey, I don't want to judge you, snake. You know, we're all people of this earth. We're all cool here. You know, maybe you're like the other snake. Maybe you just got a bad rap. <laughs> I'm being a little silly, aren't I? I'm using this to, to make a point but the point that I'm making is, is I don't want to mess with that snake because that snake is known for doing some bad things and having some bad venom. So I'm going to make a judgment call here and I'm going to say, you know what, I'm not going to mess with this snake or step on it. I'm being a little absurd here, but I'm trying to make a point. And the point is, is that it is okay to be able to use informed biblical 
decisions in order to say something is wrong or something is right. So, for instance, when I think about certain things that the Bible is against, I don't just decide to be against certain lifestyles because I want to be a mean-spirited person, but because I believe at the end of the day that God's Word is trying to teach us what good and healthy living is. So in the same way, if I were go, to go to a doctor or if I was to go to a nutritionist or somebody that was really dialed in into being able to better your body and they say, hey, Kevin, I know you like Chick-fil-A, but you need to stop eating all of that Christian chicken. The waffle fries aren't paying you any favors, even though they're delicious and amazing, and I feel like they are. I need to listen to that. Why? Because there are certain things in my body that are good for me, and there are other things that are bad for me. And no amount of praying over the holy, sacred Chick-fil-A is going to change. Well, maybe it can. I don't know. God, we serve a big God. (laughs) But you get what I'm trying to say here, right? So we care about, we listen to certain advice that tells us to eat more vegetables and eat more fruits and and, and the things in our life that are going to be able to fill our bellies in a healthy way and exercise because we understand that that promotes the health of our bodies. So in the same way, God's Word promotes the health not just of our bodies but of our souls. So we listen to God's Word, and we understand God's Word, and we identify things that we believe are wrong and right, and we choose what? We try to choose the good. We try to choose the right things in this world because we ultimately believe that it is for the betterment of our souls. So you see, judgment can be a good thing if we are avoiding the spirit of condemnation. Here's the thing, church, and it's the first point for today, is that without Christ, we all stand condemned. Notice how I underlined all. We all stand condemned. One of the most famous Bible verses that many people know is John 3.16. I'm going to skip a portion of that, and I'm going to read what follows John 3.16, because this is oftentimes forgotten. We know the part where God says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son. But after that, it says, For God did not send His Son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, 
But whoever does not believe in Him stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So what does this Scripture say? So you see, we like the portion of Scripture that says, for God so loved the world that He said His Son because it makes us feel better. It makes us feel loved. It makes us feel individually taken care of by God. But the reality is, is that God did come here on a mission, but ultimately if we reject God... What state do we stay in? A state of condemnation. Which means that Jesus' ultimate mission was a rescue mission. In some ways, it would be similar to seeing us as all drowning people and Jesus coming in with a rescue boat and throwing us on board. And some of us saying, you know what, I'm good, Jesus, leave me here. And some of us saying, get me in that boat. So Scripture is saying that whoever doesn't believe in Him stands condemned. They stay in that state of condemnation. So when I say as a first point that without Christ we all stand condemned, that isn't a judgment of condemnation in the sense that I just want to, in a negative way, make you feel bad about yourself because I'm going to elevate myself, but rather that is a reality of the, the state of affairs that we found, find ourselves in. What's wrong is, is when we in some ways think that we're better than somebody else. Because you see, the fact that we are all condemned should humble us right? It should make us feel humbled. Because if we're all condemned, and we find Christ, and we enter into this redeemed state, then what does that mean? It means that God is incredibly good, that He can save an individual like me and you. But sadly, what oftentimes happens is that sometimes what you see happening is that someone becomes a Christian, they get saved by the grace of God, and it's like they forget all of that. They forget the grace that God has given them, and what do they end up holding on to? The judgment of God. And they think somehow the reason they got saved came from within themselves. And they start to forget who they were before Christ invaded their lives. Church, one of the things that we need to recognize is God's grace. God is concerned with those of us who condemn and pass judgment because ultimately we have no right. We have no right to be people of condemnation because and we are people of condemnation in some sense, but we don't have a right to condemn others because we too stand condemned without God. Do you see what I'm saying here? So this do not judge or you'll be judged comes out of a realization of recognizing where you came from. 
that there is nobody in this world who has ever lived outside of Christ who in some ways can stand taller without God's help. That every good thing truly comes from God. We need to realize that. That's why Scripture always is trying to focus us back on humility. You know, when we think about the fall of humanity, what do we see? We see a picture of a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, doing what? Wanting to be like God, thinking that their ways are better than God's ways. This is why I think one of the key aspects of our faith that we really need to be able to hone in on continuously is this idea of humility. Are you working on your humility? You see, judgment, the kind of judgment that I believe God is calling us to, is the kind of judgment that recognizes our state of affairs, that we are condemned. But that then we'll see that condemnation as a motivation to be instruments of change. People who are promoting reconciliation, who are promoting restoration. Is your faith bringing you to a place where when people look at you, they see you more as a bridge builder? Or are you more of a person who breaks down bridges and pushes people away versus trying to figure out clever ways of being able to bring them to God? Look, I know this is no easy task. You know, there was a former congregant of mine named Denise and I remember we were working through some things together. Um, she had a nephew who unfortunately just didn't have the greatest upbringing. And it, it, it kind of bled into his behavior later on in his life, especially as he got into the teenage years. And he unfortunately was picking fights and skipping school and getting in trouble with the law. But ultimately his family situation was some, in some ways much worse. There was drug issues, abandonment issues, abuse issues. And Denise, who was in some ways the only Christian in her family, which God miraculously restored her faith and brought her to the Lord, was trying to, as best as she could, be somebody that was an intercessor over that family, someone who stood in the gaps and prayed for this family and tried to not just pray but physically get involved by picking up the boy after school and bringing him to good programs and figuring out small ways to be able to make an impact. But sometimes because of this involvement, there was a clashing between her and the boy or her and her sister. And I remember she called me one day and she was in tears over this whole entire situation, feeling at a loss of what to do. And I remember just reminding Denise, life is messy. 
I would be more worried if things weren't messy. Because the reality is, is that if you as a Christian are trying to engage the world, then what does that mean? You're going into dark, dirty, and messy places, right? So in some ways, as Christians, we need to recognize and accept that in order to live out the Great Commission, in order to be people of redemption and restoration, that life is going to get messy. And that's okay. Because life was messy when God came into our lives, but He's in the business of being able to bring restoration to our souls. My second point for today is God calls us to be redemptive people. Amen? God calls us to be redemptive people. You know, in psychology, there's studies that are done with concepts that, you know, some people call tribalism, some people call the us and the them. And what happens psychologically to us as people, and this isn't always true, but it's a tendency, is we kind of sort ourselves in a certain people group, and maybe that, that, that is being a conservative, or, or maybe that's being people who are quilters, or people who are crocheters, let's just use those silly examples. And there's this tendency, once you identify a certain people group that you, that you belong to, is you end up liking the people that resemble you, but oftentimes what ends up happening is you, you start to look at people that are outside of that group as hostile, right? So again, to kind of use the silly example of quilters and crocheters, right? You, you poke fun at those people that are outside of your group. But this ha- happens, unfortunately, in extremes, right? Some, sometimes those res- extremes have to do with our ethnicity. Sometimes those extremes have to do with our, our beliefs, right? Sometimes those extremes have to do with our age, where the older generation might despise the younger generation or vice versa, or vice versa. This, unfortunately, undermines the work of God. And what you're doing in those moments is you're moving away from being people of restoration, and instead you're being people of condemnation and of judgment. I think within this next, ser- uh, this next season that we find ourselves in is that we need to actively think about ways to not only receive the grace of God, but to give the grace of God. Are you giving out the grace of God? Are you giving to others that in some ways you might feel naturally resistant against? You know, 
as our church has been in this season of transition and thinking about how to be more missional, I've been rereading a book called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And it's a really interesting book. If you want to read it, go for it. It's written by a gentleman named Thomas Rayner. And Tom Rayner in the book, what, it, it's rather a unique book because what he did was is he took 14 churches that had eventually closed their doors. So these are churches that were once started and eventually they came to a closing point where, where there weren't enough people coming anymore to sustain it, so they closed their doors. And he performed an autopsy of sorts in this church in these churches, and he kind of identified multiple things that, that were commonalities that all of these churches were doing that he believed led to their demise. And one of the primary things that I think in some ways underpins all of, of, of what is in some ways a systemic problem within these churches is the concept of this great omission. And what he defines as the great omission in these churches is that these churches lose a love for the lost. What do I mean by that? Jesus loved the lost. Jesus loved us enough to come into this world, right? But unfortunately, sometimes we as a church can get more interested in the programs that we have and how our church is meeting our, our needs that we forget about the needs of the world or the neighborhood that we're called to. That can happen. That does happen. So in this next season of life, I want to encourage you to be the kind of people that live on mission. The kind of people that are like Jesus Willing to love the lost. I want to close now with something important. You know, maybe you've heard this message and you understand the concept of not being judgmental and not being condemning. But maybe you feel like it's too difficult to be able to know when to have a voice and when to be quiet. I want to, in some ways, encourage you to understand the importance of being able to make a distinction between those two things. Because here's the thing, and this is my final point today, is I do believe God is calling us to judge fairly. So while we're not trying to be people of condemnation, I believe that God does want us to judge, but to judge so in a fair way. In fact, this whole entire chapter, if you actually read the whole entire chapter, very quickly Jesus brings up right times to be able to judge things. 
And it's specifically when there's wolves there, when there's people that are trying to undermine the Word of God and who are trying to be false teachers and false witnesses of things. So we, church, do need to be the kind of people that can make that distinction between what is true and what is false. But what judging fairly ultimately means in an individual relationship between, let's just say, me and Jackie here, is that I love her enough to be able to pray for her, to want what's best for her, And when she does come into a place where maybe she is living against God, that I love her enough to be able to bring that up and talk to her about it, but not in a way that is just a fault-finding way. You know, in this same portion of Scripture, it brings up that famous um, known metaphor where it says, Do not point a speck of dirt out in somebody else's life when you have a log or a plank in your own. So we need to be able to judge fairly, especially within the the confines of our own community. But the goal always needs to be towards redemption, towards the building and betterment of the church. And yes, there are times where you might end up confronting somebody in their lifestyle and they may respond poorly to that. And that's not an opportunity to bash them, to shame them, to openly criticize them in a way that that is leading towards humiliation, but rather it is something that you can continue to pray and seek out God's best for that individual. So not to pick on you, Jackie, but if you were doing something in that way, I hope you would want me as not just a pastor, but as a brother in Christ to be able to bring that up to you. And as hard as that is sometimes, I hope, I hope you could do that for me, but that you could do that in a way that is kind, that is loving, and not in a way that is judgmental, because Ultimately, if we do it in that judgmental way, then what does Christ tell us? That He's going to judge us in that way too. So we need to be careful. Because with the same judgment we give to others, according to Scripture, that's the same way we're going to be judged back. So we need to take these moments seriously but still look for the opportunities to judge fairly. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can, through it, explore and understand the fullness of what you are calling us to. Father, I do pray that um, you would teach us how to be people that are not people of condemnation, Far too often, that is the reputation that Christians are known for, Lord, and I hate that. But I know that in part that comes because sometimes Christians do confront sin. And unfortunately, there are those that do it in a way that does not represent your heart 
But I do pray, Lord, that the church would come to a place, Father, where we can continue to grow and build our faith up through restorative and redemptive means, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you did not judge us in our state, even though you knew we were condemned people, that you came to this world to not condemn this world, but to love this world, to be a savior to us, to restore those of us who would believe in you. I pray, Father, that we would have the kind of conviction and heart's desire to live out the same life, to recognize that those who do not know you need to know you, because without you we stand condemned. May we embody that love, Lord, to our neighbors and to our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.